1: Vladimir Putin has clearly gone crazy and it's having ramifications across the rest of the world. We don't want to trade with a madman, of course, unless we have to. Meanwhile, China is creating ructions in the international supply chains still because of their zero-COVID philosophy. So doesn't this mean we need to reduce our reliance on other nations? Hasn't that been the big learning curve of the last few years? And doesn't that mean making more at home? But is this fortress mentality the right way to go? And even if it was, is it actually possible? Just Just how self-sufficient can a Western nation become? Can developed nations really re-industrialise? Or has the damage already been done? That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. Now, the world seems to be dividing into two or maybe three blocks. We've got the West, we've got the autocracies like Russia and China, uh, and then we've got emerging nations who I guess could jump on either side of the divide but increasingly seem to be tempted to take Chinese money uh, if none is forthcoming from the West. So that is my very simple take of uh, where we are right now. The question is, how do we all survive in those blocks? First of all, Steve, though, is that how you see it? Can you see us going this far, the, the West and Russia and China... Uh, sort of
0: separate out, and we, you know, we do less together, or perhaps even do nothing at all. Well, I can see. i certainly seeing us doing doing less. I mean, I, I didn't have uh, a, a land war in Europe on my bingo card for 2022. Um, so, some things mm. take you totally by surprise. But uh, certainly, the, the the anti-China and anti-Russian rhetoric, which has been coming out of America for ages now. Um, is not going to turn away. What you've really got is a classic uh, great power 19th century-style conflict there. China does want to extend its influence. America does want to stop them. Russia wants to have more influence. Obviously, America wants to stop them. Uh, And you get these standoffs that mean you can't do the sort of trade deals uh, that uh, obviously existed (coughs) between America and China over the last 40 years, Mm. and yet those trade deals and the incredibly low prices they generate are a large part of Western consumption these days. Well, I hate to say, You begin to wonder, don't you, whether uh, Donald
1: Trump was right with his concerns about China, uh, because, uh, of course, they have jumped on the uh, on the Russian side of the fence if they're taking any side at all. And, uh, you know,
0: and there's going to be repercussions from that. But I mean, we can't do without trade with China. Yeah, well, they can also take the sidelines. I mean, China, uh, there's an old joke about once, I think, I think it was uh, uh, Kissinger talking to Chow and Lei and ask, he asked him what he thought about, America, about uh, Western civilization, and Chow said, it's too early to tell. <laughs> um, uh, that, that that may have been actually a reference to the <laughs> 1973 French uh, French riots at the time, so we're mm. not sure he's actually making a long-term joke. But in, in, in the sense of trying to build long-term relationships and and maintain uh Tribute flow to China out of those long-term relationships that has been China's behaviour for a hell of a long time, centuries, mm. millennia, and and so they they want to expand their influence, and the Americans just don't like it. That the country that is all for democracy uh, and and freedom and the rest of the world uh, wants to maintain influence there as well, and, and somebody else can't have that influence. So they're so much for democracy. But I want. So but yeah, what you what you've got is real like, old you know, old style uh, real world um, you know, imperial power conflict. Yeah.
1: Aside from that, we've also got the issue that, you know, going forwards, are we going to trust many of our trading partners or are we going to start to say, well, no, we need to, you know, the combination of this plus, obviously, the the, the impact of COVID and what that's had on supply chains, do we need to become uh, more self-sufficient? And and if, if that is the case, then surely we have to look at the proportion of GDP, which is made up of imports. I mean, that becomes a... A,
0: a, a figure that we want to see get lower, doesn't it? You know, absolutely. And this is, this, is, I mean, this was, in some ways, always going to happen because conventional economic theory pushed us towards. Uh, suppose so-called comparative advantage. Now, that's not at all what happened because if it was comparative advantage, Japan would be exporting silks to America and America would be exporting cars to Japan. Mm. And what's, so it's a total cover. It's a load of garbage. And Dean Baker has a nice little piece in his column, which I recommend people take a look at, saying that the whole comparative advantage is really about reducing workers' wages. Uh, and that's what was done by uh, the relocation of American production from America to China. Uh, I've got a, a, a piece I just published in my little Epoch Times column, um, pointing out that that's what was a, one of the main factors driving prices down since the 80s. It was the increase in Chinese industrialization on low wages and exporting back to the West, and that's given us both a, a very incredibly low cost structure. Um, but an incredibly long supply chain and something dependent upon it not being disturbed. And, hey, hello, COVID, and hello, climate change. Um, So, yeah, I can see all those uh, international links being snapped in the next 10 to 15 years.
1: Well, we've sort of accepted in the past, haven't we, that, you know, if you import a great deal, it doesn't matter as long as you export a great deal. That's why, you know, Germany has been quite happy with an import level, which is 40% of GDP, in uh, in in the united states it's only 15% in the uk 30% but uh you know because the conventional thinking was well that's okay so long as you're doing well with exports but in in the the age of increasing self sufficiency Presumably exports become less important and the level of imports much more significant factor for you.
0: Yeah, and, and the trouble is that we're in massively into overshoot on our use of the Earth's resources. Mm. So, And yet those resources are scattered all over the planet. Uh, so you have uh, you know things like lithium, for example. I think the world's major deposits are Chile, Australia and China in that order. Um, and of course you therefore want to be able to buy the lithium because it's an essential input to batteries and which is an essential part of the technological world we, we've come to live in uh, in the last 20 30 years So um, and semiconductors are <laughs> almost all made in Taiwan um, uh, so we've got this incredibly specialized global production chain and uh, and yet it's it, it, when we start seeing climate change coming along as well as, and COVID's given us a dry run for that, that supply chain breaks down. You can't get the parts you need. And if you want to have those parts, you've got to build them domestically. But then even at that level, there are, you know, the U- UK doesn't have any deposits of lithium. Uh, Europe in general, I think, has one or two uh, significant lithium deposits there, and maybe new technology might be able to extract some more. Mm. But when you when you aggregate up our total, if we wanted to go from a, a fossil fuel based economy, which we have right now, and we're forced to go to a what Simon Maichau calls a mineral-based economy where you use you know, solar cells and, and uh, wind turbines and other tech, me- mechanical uh, techniques to extract the energy from the from the sun or the environment. Uh, we don't have the minerals or any stretch of imagination to maintain the level of society we have right now. I wonder
1: if we can do without them though. I wonder if we can find an alternative way You know, where the technology but that's a very dangerous, uh, a da- dangerous way a, to it's look a at da- it.
0: Da- and- well, for example like we, you, and, you and I have got caught up in the in the solar versus Nuclear conversation quite a few times, and you know I've got a lot of engineer supporters mm. on Patreon who are pro-nuclear, uh, but the, the thing that they're pro-nuclear with small reactors. Well. How many small reactors are in existence right now outside of American nuclear submarines? Not a lot. And even though it's a, that the plumbing side of things is straightforward in building these things, uh the, the scaling up of the extraction, the mining of uranium, the, the, and, the, and you need the extra skills and, and you need to cross in different countries. Uh, if we're forced into a, an autarkic regime, which I think we, I can see are, are coming, we're not going to have uh, that capacity to, to make that switch in less than fifteen years, and what about uh, we've got to try? About, we've got to try, but we won't get there in fifteen years, and that that's the it's the timing issue that's going to really undo us. And and yet,
1: I think you know the experience of the last few years has been two things we uh, that every country needs is energy security and food mm. security. So Germany certainly feeling that uh, uh, that need for energy security right now, but 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 if we look at food as well, so the UK imports almost mm. half. Of the food it consumes, forty-six yep. percent. The biggest suppliers are, are not where you'd think. Well, I know you know one of those big suppliers because you live I there. I do. Yeah, it's, it's the Netherlands, yeah. Germany, Ireland, yeah. Germany as well, Ireland uh, for potatoes presumably, and uh, and France. I don't know cheese, and croissant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the Netherlands, I mean, they are the second biggest agricultural and food exporter in the world. You know, meat, dairy, it's bizarre, eggs, isn't
0: it? That's one of the reasons, uh, not the only reason. it was, it, it was when I found out that was going to happen. I was extremely pleased about making a move to the Netherlands, where I'm now selling. Unfortunately, but uh, but yeah, the but Netherlands. But well, what, what, what is,
1: uh, the only thing I can find that suggests that is that the reason why they do that. I mean, it's a lot of it is automation and those big greenhouses that we've all seen. But the, but on yep. the basis of all of that. They've got very fertile soil because of the lowlands, Uh, but they've got 20,000 square kilometres of agricultural land in the Netherlands. Uh, In the UK, we've got half of that in just two counties, Norfolk and Suffolk, also flat land just on the other side of the sea, a lot closer to London. You'd be thinking,
0: if they can do it, why can't the UK do it? And that's what the UK should be looking at, frankly, because you, you are going to need food security and energy security. Mm. Energy security, to some extent, uh, the UK could get that out of uh, the wind turbines and you've got some nuclear power stations. You can expand that to some degree uh, so you can do it. But if you don't make it a priority, you're going to find the situation that Poland finds itself in now where it's had its gas supply cut off. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's definitely Ukraine-related, obviously. But, yeah, it's energy security and food security are paramount. And the uh, Netherlands has shown it can be done on a very small amount of land, and the UK should definitely be learning from that. So, who pays for it is the question, isn't it? If the UK suddenly
1: says, "Well, okay, uh, we need to massively invest and and basically build a one huge, whacking, great big greenhouse over Norfolk and
0: Suffolk, uh, and grow everything we possibly could need there." How do you pay for that? That's, again, where the the private sector is not going to do it rapidly enough because we're going to see increases in food prices given the shortages right now. So that's a large part of the inflation we're experiencing. Mm. And that's going to make it more profitable to produce food so we have some uh, attempt to get there. But the market doesn't move that fast. This is the the myth that the market will solve everything is going to come back and bite us right now because you'd have to be seeing enormous profits out of selling to extremely poor people, uh, and that's not going to happen. So unless you have government providing uh, you know, financial backing, you know, giving it to the private sector saying you build it um, rather than the government building itself, and unless the government money is in there creating it, we're not going to get that anywhere near fast enough. It's it's always going to be more expensive than
1: importing, or at least in the short term. I guess if, but if we if we if we get to the situation where. Uh, the supply chains stay broken or we, we get this divided world that I described at the beginning. Well, we're never going to be at war with the Netherlands, of course, are we? But I mean, it's you were once or twice in the past, but they also came to your (laughs) rescue. So the the complicated history of the Netherlands. There's not much impetus in in that situation. So we can say, well, okay, it'd be great to have food security, but on the other side, it's very easy to say, well, we don't need to because we've got a neighbour that does all of that for us. And I I guess you know that's probably pretty similar to Germany saying, well, we don't need to invest in gas uh, or getting it from anywhere else because we're getting it at a good
0: price from Russia. Thanks. Well, the trouble, you won't, you won't, you won't, Russia, that's going to be the problem there. Be, you're going to have to look in production regions rather than, yep. say, necessarily countries. So, yes, if you can maintain those good relations, then you've got a, a chance. But you're also going to need a much hey, more You could diverse. do that by, for example,
1: imagine this, Steve, and I know you're not a big supporter of this. You could do it by, for example, having a uh, a trading block over a large part of Europe where everyone...
0: Uh... <laughs> trading block is not the problem. It's the euro <laughs> that's the problem. It's always <laughs> been the problem. I've never been against the trading block. I've been against the euro. And, uh, there's just the stupidity of the rules of the euro that mean that trading block is a, is a hobble around the ankles of Europe rather than strengthening it. So, yeah, yeah a trading block, bring back national currency is no problem. Uh, it'd work, it could work much better. And you're going to have to have that regional approach because there are some things you can't produce on that scale. So, like, you know, I mean, imagine you can do it with the vast majority of food inputs, for example, but maybe not wheat. Uh, mm. and, you know, we a large amount of land, needed wheat and corn and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, uh, it, it's, it's, it's likely to come at us in a rush rather than gradual because There'll be some you know, climatic catastrophe. We've already got the probable catastrophe of wheat and and corn mm. production from Russia and Ukraine hitting the world economy this summer, but that's going to mainly hit Africa, unfortunately, as it seems. Uh, but, yeah, and suddenly food shortages and food riots. Well, that's when that's when government policy is going to come in. And, that, again, that sort of thing is done faster. The government creates the money for it than if you wait for the private sector to go and borrow right. it from
1: the banks. So it would make a great deal of sense then, wouldn't it, to try and tackle food security and make more onshore, like, for example, the Netherlands has done – and it's interesting that they're doing it, and they're exporting so much to the UK, and yet you know you you look at uh, the the average income in the Netherlands fifty thousand US dollars per person. Uh, it's about the same uh, in mineral-rich Australia. So two places uh, with uh, good uh, export levels. In the UK, the income's about 40,000. In France, uh, it's about the same. Uh, and obviously, they've got a, a great deal of uh, agriculture there as well, but nowhere near as intensive as the Netherlands. So, look, they've got uh, higher wages or higher salary expectations, and yet they are still managing to produce food cheaper so that, you know, we want to buy rather than doing it ourselves. doesn't make a great deal of
0: sense, does it? It, it does when you see that now look at what's happening again I'll go back to being a musk fanboy but look what's happening in musk factories versus the uh, versus factories of the of the majors if you can if you can get the technology to harness the energy to take the place of labor then you can produce stuff at very low costs and very high volumes it's the it's the energy availability as well as the as well as the uh, uh, I- inputs availability and, and the the advantage of the uh, the Dutch system too is not just that they're using less labour; they're also using less pe- less petrol. Because what we call the green revolution is actually the brown revolution. The i, think the, I forgot the name of the actual the thing of the Harbinger technique or something of that nature invented by the guy who invented and first administered mustard gas in the First World War. Um, that has enabled us to use uh, you know oil to make superphosphate to, uh, to replace. The, uh, the, the nutrients and in land degrading land in the process but giving us huge productivity if we didn't have that we would have the, the, with traditional agricultural techniques you would have topped that at about 2 billion humans on the planet we've hit 8 instead uh, but what Netherlands is showing is if you can do this stuff in, in, in inside a, a greenhouse uh, in carefully controlled water levels coming in nutrients being checked as well you can reduce your pesticide use you can reduce your uh, fertilizer use etc etc and lo and behold you can be cheaper than somebody that just relies from the water falling from the sky.
1: So it's, I mean, so it's we're talking about re-agriculturalizing re-ag- rather than re- re-industrializing. But it doesn't sound like, uh, I mean, obviously a lot of work involved in it, a massive amount of investment. But it doesn't sound like it's something that's going to take decades to happen. It sounds like it's. Well, something-
0: it, could, it, it, it could take de- not decades. You could do it. You can do it in a sort of war footing approach, mm. uh, you know, rapidly. But then again, you've got to get the minerals for it. Now the greenhouses. Uh, involved, they involved metal, they involve glass, they involve a huge amount of materials you don't necessarily have right now. You've got to import from somebody else. They're going to become, become difficult to get hold of. Again, this mineral availability is going to come back and bite us. So the, the, fo- the first movers there, and the Netherlands is a classic first mover in that area, uh, is a, a likely to be much more comfortable than the, than the late movers. And I mean, if I had my, put my money where the UK is going to be, it certainly isn't among the fast movers. Yeah, Uh,
1: What about on the energy front then? I mean, uh, 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 clearly everyone has rethought energy security since the situation in Ukraine. Certainly the Germans have. Uh, But an example of how crazy we all were, well, first of all, crazy point number one, Germany being basically totally dependent on on Russia for its its gas, Uh, you know, rather than uh, knowing the behaviour of that country. Uh, But secondly, the UK... uh, Accepting Chinese money, a Chinese state-owned company uh, taking a 20% stake in a nuclear power plant in Suffolk at Sizewell, along with some French money, they now want to get China out of that. They're not quite sure how they can get themselves out of that situation unless they actually list the entity so that uh, other people buy it which could still be Chinese
0: investors buying the shares, or it could be Russian money getting even worse. Uh, so it goes from bad to worse. And uh, um, if you got about Germany shutting us nuclear power stations down as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, So the, the incredible, incredible capacity for short-sighted thinking and, and not looking at the aggregate, and this is where I come back to Simon Simon Michael's work all the time, uh, when you look at it and see how, how large the scale of transition is needed to go from the fossil fuel-based system we have in general right now to a, a minerals-based one, we uh, we simply don't have anything like the minerals necessary to maintain the level of economic output we have, or across the planet. So we're in an overshoot, and we're facing a decline. And that's that's what that scares me more than just the fact that needing to bring manufacturing back onshore. We're going to find we simply can't maintain the the, the living standards we have right now. And yet, the poor at the moment, after forty years of neoliberalism, are being screwed left, right, and centre, and will not accept a cut in their already tenuous living standards. So it can only come by reducing the living standards of the rich, and that's going to go down a real treat. In yeah, uh, you know, yeah, they won't have in, it. In, in, but the, but you but you talked about uh, you know
1: the, the idea of of trading blocs like Europe, for example. But if uh, if if, if uh, you know, and I, I started by talking about the you know the difference between uh, democracy and autocracies and whatever the developed world, whatever side the developed world jumps on. So a lot a, a lot of these minerals, you know, we have them sitting in, as you say, in Australia, which would be part of the, you know, what we'd see as being the friendly block. Uh, so they would presumably be able to supply those those mineral needs to
0: help us to develop a more self-sufficient nothing, nothing like the scale you need. And this no. is what I think we're, we're going to go from a period of, Globalisation on a diluted theory of economics to nationalism under a, a, a collapse in the availability of the inputs for an, yep. a, a physical economy. And in that situation, uh, countries are going to look at their their sums and say, well, how much do we need for our own people? And if the answer is more than we've got, uh, then they're going to be aggressive towards other countries. The ones that have got enough are going to say, OK, we're, we're going to put our own people first and then you know, we'll, we'll try to f- fight off the exterior. So I can see just a massive level of na- international conflict coming out of this.
1: Which we're already starting to see, of course. And I guess the problem is if it does become the West versus the autocracies, then places like Russia, a massive surface area with a lot of resources that really we
0: need. Can we actually survive without them? So we're going to see a, a, a massive rise in, in conflict. And uh, autarkic behaviour in some countries is going to be much better located for that than others. But yeah, you know, I expect to see it all in the context of a you know, level of climate uh, chaos. So <laughs> it's uh, we are we are into a. I, I, I can see a rise in, aut- in autocratic regimes because, frankly, they're the ones that are likely to survive. The the ones that try to rely upon you know not in my backyard democracy uh, are likely to have. <laughs> Internal collapse getting in their way. Well, the
1: the other thing is, of course, you know the the reason why we've uh, we've liked international trade is because arguably it stopped wars. Doesn't that that argument seems to have uh, fallen by the wayside this year? But I mean, it's it's lasted pretty well for for a long period of time. You don't tend to. Uh, engage in war in countries that you're trading with, particularly if you're if you're dependent on them.
0: Yeah, but we've but, uh, we've, we've, we've then done the war on the on the natural environment rather than the human, and that's uh, that's that's the war you can't win. So, but we but if we had a more aside from the mineral issue,
1: which I you know accept that that will mean we will have to moderate our uh, our consumption habits somehow. But if we've got a, a more domestic focused uh, economy where we do have food self-sufficiency and, as far as possible, energy self-sufficiency, um, and, th- you know, we are using supply chains less. We are causing less damage to the economy, you would hope, because we're going to be shifting stuff around the planet a lot
0: less. That's, that, and that's a major factor in favour of going back to a globalised system. The whole neoclassical vision, which has underlined the idea of globalisation, neoliberalism in general, uh, just left out. Assumed you know, Let's assume a can opener, you, know, you can mine a can opener in your backyard, The the... the the lack of connection with the physical world, uh, and that's why, like, I'm part of a movement which is known as biophysical economics, which Charlie Hall uh, terms developed the term initially. We have a ethereal economics that argues, you know, labour and capital can produce output and forget about the physical world and the production functions that don't include energy and, and, uh, and minerals, uh, informing how economists think the economy operates. They're, so they're completely wrong. So we're going to hit into this brick wall of an unavailability of, of resources. And we're going to be forced to unwind this incredibly globalized economy that we've put together in the last forty years. But what about economies of scale? Does that still have a role to
1: play in all of this? So yeah, that, that's one. Of, yeah, that's, for example, I'm, the, the, the... economies. I'm thinking, got, yeah. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of those greenhouses, for example. We, you know, if we were to try and replicate it in the UK, uh, you know, we may find that we do it less efficiently than they than than, than the Dutch do it. Why why would they bother? You know, if, there's, if the if it's cheaper to do it over there, why why? Because it's going to use more resources. As well, it's going to be less good for the planet. If if Britain if Britain uses those you know finite mineral resources and uses them badly, whereas you know we're almost getting back to the the idea of uh, you know the the advantage of one nation over another doing something better than the other the other
0: side. Well, not necessarily. You've got this economy that's that's built the capital machinery that actually enables you to do it and that has the technology in place. And so what the, what mm. the Dutch have managed to do is to uh, reduce their dependence upon water falling out of the sky and also reduce their dependence upon uh, the ingredients we get from oil because what we call the green revolution and superphosphate and fertiliser that actually came out of the I've think i forgotten the name I think it's the Harbinger technique chemistry is not my strong point invented by the guy who uh, also invented mustard gas um, in the back of the first world war and that technique means we can use fossil fuels to create food and so we're not we're, we're dependent upon them as well now if we didn't have that then the world population would have topped out at about 2 billion, not 8 billion. And that's the scale yeah. of fall we can expect in food availability overall coming out of this. So that, that's, that's another economy of scale in a sense. As good as the Dutch are, they can't scale up to replace you know three quarters of the world's, world's, world's full that food output so you're going to need to have that cap- capacity domestically whether you but, want to do but it or not the rest of the
1: world could try and raise to their standard couldn't they and then yeah. the uk could and then that gets back to you know this idea about well do, do we rely on less from other people and just try and do our own stuff as efficiently as possible uh, and
0: re-industrialize yeah.
1: uh, and is that is, is that possible, and is that what's going it's, to happen, and how do you do it? It's yes. possible
0: when you have plenty of time, and you don't have plenty of time. So we've got ourselves in a mm. real corner, and this is why I'm, you know, I regard neoclassical economics as as, as being the, the, almost the death warrant for human civilization By pushing us into believing we can continue expanding our use of the planet's resources ad infinitum without consequences, because and they're stupid. Well, there's two things yeah. here, isn't there? There's that, mm. and then there's what you know most uh, economists would say.
1: Well, what you're talking about is protectionism. That's a bad thing. No, Although maybe, yeah, they've again,
0: changed, maybe they've changed. Maybe their- they've changed. the, the protectionism thing. They're, they're put, that's putting it on their on their um, their framework. Uh, you know, if, if you know my little piece about Ricardo's uh, the the Shell and trick of talking about production using labour, ignoring the role the role of capital and talking about the yeah. capacity to relocate resources from one industry to another you show me how you can use a steel furnace to make a latte uh, it's, it's, there are, you know, we have dedicated capital and if you have a a change from you know, protectionism to free trade, then the stuff that is uh, protected doesn't move from one industry to another. It decays and turns into a rust belt. Would be uh, so. Would be a very large latte. Yeah, yeah, well yeah do, that's right. It? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. talk the great head on that latte, boy. Uh, which, uh, but yeah, that's that's the that's the dilemma we we have. We. We simply don't have the. We've pushed our use of the planet far too far. We're using too much energy generated out of fossil fuels, dumping too much of the waste of that in carbon dioxide into the into the atmosphere, and many many other forms of waste as well. And we're degrading the physical system on which we on which life depends. So in that situation, mm. we're going to be forced back to relying upon our own uh, resources for production. The globalized production chain will fall apart. And in that situation, uh, you know, you've got to put the burden of adjustment on the the rich, not the poor. Uh, that's not a recipe for a peaceful world. But, is, but also, isn't it a case that, you know, we, we could move to uh, a,
1: a world where we consume less and do more stuff? which is sort of what we saw, wasn't it? During during the lockdowns, we all went on to uh, Amazon and bought stuff. Physical
0: stuff that still and had to be produced in a factory phys- somewhere.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's why we're, we, you know, being hit with this inflation problem now and all these supply chain problems because our demand for stuff was so much greater. As we came out of lockdown, you know, we did go back to uh, cappuccinos not made in furnaces uh, and, uh, you know, and would be happy to spend more of our time sipping away Maybe not consuming quite as much, um, but spending our money on stuff that you know is, is perhaps less detrimental to the planet, and that could become more of the domestic industry so long as we 've got all the other stuff
0: secure, as so long as we 've got food security and energy security well, getting energy security is going to be the problem because when Simons work again, if we actually uh, were forced over to purely um, uh, non-fossil fuel-based energy systems, then there'd be something at the order of a 75% fall in energy availability for production. So that's that's going to be the real crunch. We, we, whatever way we cut this, we're going to be forced into... Re- reining back the level of income inequality and drastically reducing our consumption levels on the planet. Um, no,
1: but you've talked a lot. You've talked a lot about nuclear. I mean, is that the one? Is that the is that the saving uh, the saving grace? Again, for I mean, as
0: much as nuclear, I've, I've been persuaded about the safety issues of nuclear having been been, been solved by <coughs> things like water based tech, uh, technology, where the, the uh, you don't get meltdowns anymore because of the. If the controls disappear, the power turns off. Um, using water as a moderator as well as a heat trans- transition system, that sort of thing. So nuclear is less dangerous, but we haven't got the we, we and, and like a lot of it, okay, I've been told is also a case of uh, plumbing rather than you know, needing to understand quantum mechanics. But you are still going to need a, a huge workforce of both extremely skilled people and then maybe also your plumbers and fitters and turners. Uh, right. But even those of we, t- we, t- we, we don't have. Right. So we'd have to get them. So we'd yeah. have
1: to, which means you'd have to, we'd have to We're a long program of education, research and development, infrastructure And these building. things take
0: time. So again, again yeah. like you know, uh, to gear up, uh, that's why like solar, you know, I'll, I'll take the arguments from both the pro-solar and anti-solar and pro-nuclear and anti-nuclear engineers that I'm dealing with in Patreon. And I take all the Arguments on board, but to me, because of the where we are at the moment, we have the we have the capacity to gear up in the in the solar and the wind in ways we don't have the capacity to gear up at the moment in nuclear. So nuclear is still part of the mix. I think we we should be pushing that heavily. But then again, that doesn't you know improving nuclear energy doesn't doesn't reduce the amount of damage we're doing by putting plastic waste into the into the. biosphere. There's a, a huge amount of example. We've just massively over so stressed all this of that planet. We're gonna pay g- price for it.
1: And It also suggests there's going to be an awful lot more government intervention, doesn't it? Yeah. Because if you yeah. would, because because you, if you're talking about this sort of transition, you're always talking about like a five or ten or fifteen year plan, aren't you? Which
0: is uh, which we don't see as being the way for free markets. But you're you also know, going to get government- very rapid mobilisation and the, and like the spa, you know, the the, the the myths of the market moving rapidly. Um, mm. it, you know, it, it, it takes a hell of a long time to bring a new technology to market. Uh, you can get incredible innovation out of the private sector. That's definitely true. You can also get that out of the public sector, all it is a case you want to fund your geeks and, uh, and we haven't been funding our geese and the government ever since the, you know, the 50s and 60s. So, but, but in terms of creating the money initially and then being able to direct resources, uh, the government can do that and not worry about profitability. The private banks can't. And that's why we didn't have a private war against Hitler. You know, it was a, a, it was a government money creation that enabled Hitler to rise. And it was government money creation that defeated him out of both America and the UK uh, and, and, and also for that matter, Russia. Uh, so it's – we're going to be you – know, I think we're mobilising – because we've let the market rip in a belief it can rip forever and it can't, then we're going to find ourselves in a much more government-dominated and autocratic world in the future. And uh, we need to fund the geeks. 1-800-FUND-A-GEEK now. <laughs> uh all the money
1: goes to the geek. None goes to the phone company. So there's no reason not to call. So do we? what about foreign investment in all of this then? I mean, is this all Is this all going to be funded by government seed money from within a domestic economy helping to uh, nurture a domestic industry to grow? Or do you allow foreign money in? Say, for example, you wanted to train people on uh, – if we saw there's a huge opportunity for an industry in artificial intelligence and we thought we had – enough, we had a bit of an advantage in that because we're sort of halfway there in terms of the education levels and we see it as a, as a growth area. But there's US companies that say, well, no, we can provide the training for that um, and we'll take the tuition fees back home. Do we allow that or do we, is this a real fortress mentality that we have to take where we say, no, 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 in this self-sufficient world, we're doing it all ourselves.
0: Well, we, you know, As I said, we've got to, you've got to have a regional trading block like, uh, thought rather than necessarily national. Uh, but mm. there are technologies like, for example, microprocessor uh, production where uh, the, I think the goods are – I think I think the actual technology is made in the Netherlands for uh, – I think that's my understanding where the company comes from that makes the essential <laughs> machines in the Netherlands again for, uh, mm. for microprocessors. So do they're doing greenhouses, the back of the but, greenhouse. But, got but to... the production uh, technology is put together in Taiwan. So yeah. – and, and then if you say, well, we can no longer rel- – you know, that's not going to be possible anymore uh, – and then it's you have your economies of China. scale and you'd, you'd need to have a, um, a uh, you know, p- capacity to produce those uh, integrated circuits in, the U- in, in Europe, not the UK, to be just too, too much for one country. Um, and, and then you, you, know, you, you get a, a breakdown in that international system. So to some extent, I would like to see countries cooperating on that and saying we've got to share all the knowledge we have now let's forget about I mean, this is the Kumbaya vision but forget about our national rivalries this is a case where the human species as a, as a whole has to drastically reduce the damage it's doing to the planet and and do it in a way that enables civilization to survive and we, if we, we let our normal instincts go we're going to blow the shit out of each other and end up exterminating ourselves before we actually destroy the, the climate uh, for God's sake can we finally develop level of pathos and intelligence to say life on the planet matters. Sorry. You're having to come by. Normally I mean, I'm yeah, the Peter one who has Ka- to come Peter by. Peter Calmas went and through this. I mean, Peter uh, was one of the uh, scientists who glued himself to a, a building of fossil fuel company in the States just recently, and he had the same thing happen to him. Uh, because when you're working in the field and you see the scale of threat we face and to realise the stupidity and ignorance of human leaders letting us get into this situation, and it's also our herd mentality behaviour as well, and think we we have simply got to regard ourselves as part of life, not the, uh, not, not the, the, the gods of life. And so but your, but it, you're talking about a serious only- trouble. But you're talking about us all needing to cooperate so
1: that we make Which the we most use we, we of the, yeah. the most use of resources that we've got on the planet, so that we are uh, so we're not destroying the planet and we're getting the best out of it that we can. Whereas I started this by saying, well, you know, look, we're we're splitting up into into blocks because we're not sure we can trust Russia and China anymore, and they probably can't trust us either, and we're all going to have to operate independently so we're all going to be different blocks and and does that mean that we therefore need to start developing a more uh domestic focused uh e- economy mm-hmm. and and so i th- i think you know and then uh, and you're right part and parcel of that is we need to do that in a way which is is going to is going to be best for the planet as well if we're try, we're moving stuff around the planet less yeah that's yeah. That, that that's going to be a that's going to be a good start but um but it's i mean your point earlier it's if we're going to do it, it. I mean, it's got to be coordinated, but it's also going to take a lot of time, isn't it? And we there's absolutely no sign whatsoever because I think that the the you know the belief is probably that the free market will find its way. There's a, there's absolutely no plan. I can't see anywhere in any country where people are saying, "Well, okay, uh, if we if we need a a, a a more domestically focused economy where we are importing less, how do we go about that?" There's um, there's there's just no plan.
0: Not not even not only is there no plan. There's no talk of needing a plan. I know, and that's why we're seeing career politicians making these decisions in a, in a political system derived from nineteenth century French politics, uh, we just simply are not equipped to understand what the hell we're going for. Which is why people like Peter Kalmas and I end up getting in tears at various times, uh, because we can see the scale of the problem coming our way, and it's the it, it's it's the stupidity with which we're rushing towards a brick wall. That and and what the damage we're doing to the whole planet in the process of that—that's what's so scary. And then what is what is our instincts going to be when it all breaks down, and how how are we going to behave? It's uh, we we don't we don't look like we you know we've got a a great track record on this front when it was regional. When it's going to become global, um, it's scares me. maybe the shit out maybe of it will
1: change. Maybe the, what we've been through the next, the last couple of years will drive that change. The fact that uh, I mean to be honest we we have to expect very little from the politicians we've got right now um but maybe there's a maybe there's a, an, another level of politician that's that's waiting that we will all vote for if we all agree that we need to do something Better. I mean, it's not a hard sell, right? Now, now you're going back. No, well, <laughs> I am right now, but I don't think it's a hard sell. It's my turn now. I'm not going to break down into tears, though. It's uh, but but. No, no, no. It's more my thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. You're, you're more in touch with your uh, you, with yourself than I am. I hardly ever touch myself. But the um, but the, this idea that um, you know that we that we need to. It. I feel like it's an easy sell. To say that we we need to work differently now, and we need to be less reliant on, on the global um, ecosystem. We need to be more reliant on on our on ourselves. I mean, hell. You know with that that's been yeah. very much the mentality in the UK lately, hasn't it? You know, it's it's very much a, yeah. you know, a British nationalism is on the rise, and it's it's you know you could play on that to say, well, okay, yeah, yeah, let's let's adopt that, let's become self sufficient, let's let's get uh, l- l- let's make stuff like we used to that we need. Uh, and let's become a, a you know, l- let's look after ourselves. That's an easy sell.
0: And also let's reduce our encroachment on the natural world and leave more of the planet for, uh, for organisms other than humans. Yeah, well, we can, so we can, so we'll put that in small type in the next line. But yeah, the, popul- the, next line.
1: The, popul- the populists will buy that first
0: line. Yeah, and that's what we need ultimately to move towards. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it, we're starting from a point of a massive overshoot. So, um, that's a decline and humanity has not handled declines well in the past.
1: Right. Well, there we are. Uh, but the short question can we, uh, uh can developed nations reindustrialize? Uh, what's the answer? Yes, but they'll bloody well get on with it.
0: Yeah, get on with it and, and realise that uh, they ain't got the minerals to do it at the level of current uh, current civilisation, so there's some serious planning and and holistic thinking necessary and about bloody time we work out how to yeah, do it. Yeah, a plan. Good. All right. Thanks, Steve. Catch you again next time. Okay, mate. Yeah.
1: And that is the uh, Debunking Economics podcast for this week. I'm Phil Dobby, back with Steve next week with another one. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you then.